Let's pray together. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praises of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. To silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky, and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Father, we are here today to worship you and to give all the glory to you. God, as we're reminded here in the psalm, God, that when we consider the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, God, who are we that, God, that you are mindful of us, human beings that you care for us, especially in this season with the sickness and everything that's going on around us with school and with work, with relationships. God, who are we that, God, that you hear us when we cry out to you? So, God, I just want to thank you for this opportunity and this day to worship you and to give you praise. I pray, God, that you speak to us. I pray, God, that you just open up our ears to hear your voice, to hear your message. I pray, God, against every distraction right now in Jesus' name. And I pray, God, for the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, to come and bring conviction to our hearts, O oh God, to cast aside every distraction, to hear your word. Lord, we thank you. We love you. And I, God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, O oh God. We love you. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, and I pray. And God's people pray. Amen and amen. So I'll take our seat and let's take a moment to greet our neighbors. How's everyone feeling today? You guys are scared with the corona thing? Let's all sit away from, whoa, Andy. Oh, good timing. I think we need to isolate him in the back. Quarantine. <laughs> um, so today, we're on Lent 3, and the title is called Pursue Me, Lord. Pursue Me, Lord. If you could repeat after me, and let's shout out the title out loud. Ready? One, two, three. Pursue Me, Lord. I pray that this will be your prayer, and that this will be our heart's desire. So there are two main passages here today. The first is found in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. And then the second part, which I'm going to come and bring it up later, is Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. So 4 to 5 is going to be a connection. But let's begin right away with Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. It says this, the title, Jesus Comes the Storm. It says, that day when evening came, that's important, it's nighttime. He said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And this is the lake called the Sea of Galilee. This is the Sea of Galilee, the famous Sea of Galilee. In verse 37, a furious squall, meaning a storm, came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Verse 39, he got up 
rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still, like talking to a dog. Then the wind died down. It was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And I pray that our prayer today will be pursue me, Lord. Lord, there or here, Lord, I will follow you. Amen. Let's start with point number one. Number one is this. You are called to go. You are called to go. Jesus says, let us go over to the other side. Jesus tells his disciples in verse 35 that that day when evening came, again, it's nighttime, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. They did not have flashlights back then. There were no lights back then. But in the dark, in the darkness, Jesus said, let us go over to the other side. And we see that as the story progresses, that right away the storm comes right away. And it, it is not if the storms come. It is a matter of when, and it will. When you go on missions, whenever God calls you to go somewhere to do something, when God calls you, he has a specific calling in your life. It is not if the storms come. It will come, and you will have many storms in your life. It could be family situations. It could be any situation, but you need to be ready for them. It is when the storms come, and it shall, and it will come. And in this story in Mark chapter 4, the storm comes right away. Jesus, let's go over to the other side. The storm comes right away. And the reality is that the Christian life will have more storms than calmer ones. I'll say that again. The Christian life will have more storms than calmer ones. Why? Because when things are calm, when things are easy, you do not desire to follow after God. It's when things are messy, when things are complicated. I'm not saying make your life more difficult, by making your life more complicated. But you have to understand that the Christian life will have more storms than calmer ones. Imagine this. These men are fishermen. I mean, who are fishermen? They fish a sea. These are experts who devoted their whole lives to fishing. So water is like their second home. So for these fishermen, in this story, in the context, for them to be scared, I mean, just imagine how powerful the storm must have been. Their panic should have scared Jesus. For Jesus was only what? He was a carpenter. He was a teacher who learned his trade on land. Now see, it's like Josh trying to teach Jonathan about, no, nah, I don't think that's it. That's not the right medicine. No, 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 no. If Jonathan's freaking out, then we should be freaking out because that's his trade. So for their panic should have scared Jesus. But what is Jesus doing? He is found sleeping. He's found sleeping. In a crisis, he's found sleeping. And you find this normal person calm, and that's not even his trait. These were fishermen. It's like the story of David. Everybody was scared of this Philistine, this giant named Goliath. But this young man, this young man, David, he was not afraid. He had his self-control. Never forget that God is always in control, that God never lost control of your life. That when storms come and when you're in the midst, right in the smack in the middle of the storm, never forget that God is in control. He has never lost control. And three things to keep in mind. A, 
It was evening, like I said, it was evening came, it was getting dark, and Israel, it gets pitch dark fast, like quickly. And B, they were disciples, meaning they were followers of Christ. These were not just casual followers, they're disciples. And let us see, they were called to go. Go where? To the other side. Because they were the disciples, then they did not want to go. They did not want to go away to the other side. So I think the first thing that the disciples are thinking in their minds are, I don't think it's wise to go, Jesus. I actually don't want to go. Jesus is getting late. Jesus, it's time to go home. They did not want to go to this other side. This other side is not a place that they're familiar with. It's dark. Jesus, why are we going there? Jesus, what is there that is so special that we are going to this place? The disciples did not want to travel to the other side because it's a place of unfamiliarity. But Jesus says, let us go over to the other side. I am at missions one time. It was a really long day. We had revivals and uh, it was also uh, a medical missions too. So we were like doing a lot of like medication and uh, helping our doctors and helping them. And there's just a lot of work. And at the end of the day, it was like, it was close to midnight and it was very late. And our team decided, you know, we're gonna actually go and go into the red light district we went and I remember some of the people were complaining like, wait, what? There are some younger members here, you know, it's late. You know, I think we had a long day. I think we should save for another day or I don't think it's appropriate. But you need to remember that when you're walking in a relationship with God, that there will come a time where God will call you to go to places that you will not be comfortable going. And this will be a place of discomfort. This will be a place of of a place where you will not be familiar with, but you are called to go regardless, no matter how much you want to run away. You know, like the story of Jonah. You know, he wanted to run away, but God brought him back. Whenever I read the story of, of, of Jonah, I rem I, I'm reminded of like when I was young, and I hated like Bible study and Korean classes. I used to call our teacher uh, Clark Kent, because he would wear glasses, and, and when, he, when we would run away from him, he would take off his glasses and he would be like, Shoo! and he'd catch all of us. Like, and I thought I was fast and I was young and he, I, I would be like in the car, he's like over there, he's like, what are you going to And then he would like, Shoo! and he like catches me. And, but there are places where we do not want to go. But you have to remember that that's where God has called us to be. So when God calls us, how many of us truly make excuses all the time? I do, I do too. God, I'm not ready financially. I'm not here, I'm not ready right now mentally. We make excuses all the time and the list goes on. You see, I would like to go, but I would like to, but you see, God, I would love to follow you, but. And they get to this boat and a crazy storm comes. And storms always come, does it not? Always comes. Missions always comes. There's always opposition. There's always something with a team member, something that happens, an attack that comes. And the storm was so strong that the waves broke over the boat and nearly swamped the boat. And you could imagine the disciples in fear waking Jesus to ask, Jesus, I told you, we should have just stayed where it was safe back home and land. And what is Jesus doing? Sleeping like a baby on a cushion. And again, there'll be times when God calls you to go, to go. And it will invite storms. It will come. Storms will come. And the question is why? And the answer is to shake up your faith. 
Because what does Jesus say? He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So what's number one? You are called to go. Number two, you are called to fear. Turn to your neighbor in a scary face and say, you are called to fear. Now, in Matthew 10, chapter 10, verse 28, it says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather be afraid of the one, meaning God, one is capitalized as God, one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We shouldn't be afraid of our circumstances, of people who may or may not hurt us, We need to be afraid of who? The one who can destroy both soul and body in hell, which is God. Psalm 46 tells us that God is our refuge. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gave way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, even in times of trouble, we will not fear. For God is our strength. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Isaiah 41, verse 10, one of my favorite passages says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. How How does this tie in with point number two, you are called to fear? I'm talking about having the right fear of God. Do not be afraid of the circumstances and the situation that you're in or the opposition that happens in your life. But fear the one who made us and who caused us, the one who created us, the one who knows us. Have a healthy reverence of fear of God because you will always have fear in this lifetime. Fear of death, fear of losing a loved one, fear of getting sick. But Roosevelt said this, right? He said, courage is not the absence of fear but rather the assessment, judgment, that something else is more important than fear. So in the midst of your fear, you overcome. You allow the fear of God to become greater than our own insecurity or the little fears that we have. Just because we're afraid that the plane might crash or we might catch something, we say, nope, I'm not taking that risk. And that we want to live a safe life. And yes, and you may, you may live, and you may live and you may die on older age. But at the end of the day, no matter whether we die now or whether we die years later, how did you live your life? Did you live your life to the full? Or did you waste your life by living in safety because of fear that you have? The disciples could have lived it. They could have. They should have. I mean, they were in fear. They should have stayed where they were. They could have lived in fear. They could have stayed. Jesus could have stayed where he was and not go to this other side. But he went and he took courage and he was instilling courage in the disciples. How? By controlling the storms. You have to remember that in fear, that when storm is, is big and when it consumes us, that you need to remember that the one who is with us in the boat is Jesus Christ himself. That there's nothing to fear when there's things, opposition happening in your life. Meaning your fear of God, your reverence to God. When I say fear of God, I'm talking about your reverence to God. Your obedience to God must always surpass your own inner worldly fears. I'll say it again. Your obedience to God, your reverence to God, your fear of God must always surpass your own inner insecurities and worldly 
fears. What are those worldly fears? Our fear of society's opinions, your friends, what they might think of you when you go to church. Our fear of failure. Our fear of the unknown. And here's the reality. You will have fear. Worldly fear. But as Christians, our strength comes not from the absence of fear, but knowing that the one who is in you, the one who is in you, Jesus Christ, the one who is in you, stronger and more powerful and greater than the one who is in the world. And who is in the world is the devil, than circumstances, than situations. That's why it says in Proverbs 14, verse 26, that whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress. And for their children, it will be a refuge. You want, your, you, want you, to, you want yourself to be safe? You want your family to be safe? Then have a healthy dose of fear of God in your life. That is number one. Never allow your own insecurity, the fear of the unknown, the fear of your circumstances, the fear of your failures, the fear of your feelings and your emotions to become greater than the fear of God. The fear of God is everything. Your obedience to God, your reverence to God is everything. So when the disciples are asking in the question, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we drown? We just read it in Psalm 7 in the beginning prayer. Who am I? Who are we as mankind that you are mindful of me, that you hear me when I call? So for them to ask this question is such a foolish question. Of course Jesus cares. He knows all things. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? But the disciples allowed their own fear. They were scared out of their wits. They were so scared that their fear, this fear went beyond their understanding as experts at sea as fishermen. These were fishermen we're talking about, expert men at sea. Not only that, they were disciples of Jesus Christ. They saw the miracle of Jesus Christ. They know who Jesus Christ is. It's God himself. But yet in 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 that present moment with the storm, they ask a foolish question. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? A lot of times we do that too. God, don't you care about me? Of course God cares about you. There is no one on earth that loves you more than God, more than your parents, more than your best friend, more than the, the, anything that you could find on this planet. God loves you the most. Of course he cares. Of course he loves But the disciples were so scared, they allowed their fear to distort the reality of who they were and whose they were. For the fishermen to be afraid, it's like a cook being afraid of the kitchen, you know? Like the pot's like, oh, I hear the metal clanking, ah, they freak out. It's like, what? How are you going to cook then? It's like a reminder of the game that we used to play, remember the the cooking game? The fire extinguisher? What is that game called? Oh my God. I know some of you didn't want to be in my team because I kept doing the, <laughs> kept getting in the way, I kept dropping the pots. But in the midst of the storm, Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, is found. What is he doing? Sleeping. He stands up and says, quiet, be still. Like talking to a, an animal. You know, even when you say it to an animal, they don't listen. It's like, squirrel, sit, and then the juke. <laughs> or even to your dog, stop, and they bark back. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> he, 
he says, quiet, be still, and then listens. Lord, we are going to drown. Save us, the disciples were saying. What they should have said was, look. One of them should have said, look, our Savior is sleeping right here with us. He's with us. We'll be okay. We're going to be all right. Praise God. Because we serve a God, we serve a Savior that not, not even the wind and the waves can wake him or, or even shake him. There's nothing that can consume him for he is the creator of all things. We, what they should have said was, I will worship you and praise you in the midst of my storm. It may seem like I may be drowning or I may be at the brink of death, but even when I take my last breath and I die here on earth, that even in death I have hope in Christ. For he is with me, and he loves me. And through Jesus Christ, I have eternity with him. And my purpose is not the fulfillment of this life, but the fulfillment and the eternity that I have and the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the beginning and the end, the resurrection and the life, the lion and the lamb, he's found sleeping. The scripture gives this beautiful picture of Jesus sleeping calmly, right? Calmly in the storm. You could, you could literally find any crazy, uh, like psychotic or crazy animals or like the most scary looking animals, I think. And if they sleep, I think they're all cute, right? I think everyone like looks peaceful when they sleep. Everybody, no matter how scary you look. And we see this beautiful picture of Jesus. He's sleeping calmly in the storm. Now that part, does it show us that we too, if we're made in the image of God, if Christ lives in us, that we too can in fact, that in the midst of storms of life, that we can find peace and be at rest in the storms of our lives? And the answer to that question is yes. But so many times we find ourselves freaking out. We don't know what to do. We lose sleep. We we start trying to take control in our own strength. Let's go back and read verse 39 to 41. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, verse 40, he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now let's transition now to our second main passage, to Mark chapter 5. If you have your Bible, it literally connects. It's just a connecting story. So literally they leave and then they get to this location, the other side. Now what is this other side? It's found in Mark chapter 5, verse 1 to 20. The title says, The Healing of a Demon possessed man. That was what was on the other side. So let's go ahead and read. It says, verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs, meaning the cemetery, to meet him. I mean, that's kind of scary. It's like, he's not even coming from his house, he's coming from the cemetery. It's like, whoa, like, get away from me. Verse 3, this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind them anymore, not even with the chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, 
but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Why would he fall in front of Jesus? This is a strong man. Nothing could hold him. People are afraid of him. But he comes in verse 6. He sees Jesus from a distance. He runs, falls on his knees at the feet of Jesus. Verse 7, he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, For we are many. You can just imagine it's not just one voice, but many voices together. For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, imagine that number, 2,000 in number, rushed down into a steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. The people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. A lot of fear here. Those who had seen it told the people what happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region as Jesus was getting into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Let's talk about a little bit of side note. Let's talk about demons real quick. Uh, Now, demons are fallen angels who joined Satan to go against God, who rebelled against God, right? So they're fallen angels. They were once angels, and they're fallen angels who follow and rebelled and to follow Satan to go against God. So now they roam around earth, all throughout earth. The Bible says he is, Satan is the prince of this world, that he is the ruler of this world. So they roam around earth as Satan's minions, and they work along with Satan to bring destruction to Christians with his great destructive powers. That's why it says in 1 Peter 1, verse 13, it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. 1 Peter 1, 13. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. What is he doing? Why is he prowling around? Looking for someone to devour. Who is he trying to devour? Us, Christians, the followers of Christ. James 2.19, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. The devil knows the word. He knows how to use the word. And that's scary. James 4.7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So how do we fight against the devil? We submit to God. What does submit to God mean? 
You submit your whole life to him. It's the only way that we can fight the enemy's attacks. You are not strong enough to do this on your own. You are not. As a Christian, we cannot be possessed by the devil. Why? Because the one who is in us is Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. You're the temple of God. The devil does, has nothing over you. You need to remember that you are stronger only through Christ. Without Christ, we are just like this man, possessed, no strength, part of this dark, dark world. And we understand that, that through this passage that demons can possess and distort a person. I mean, that's kind of scary, right? Like at work or people that you know or... It's scary that demons can possess and distort a person. Their looks, right? in this case, his look, his strength, the fear that he brought to people, and it can even come in a form of confidence and success. You know, people who are successful, like how did they get to that point? You know, Satan wants you to think that he is good, that he is trustworthy, that he is powerful, but we understand the devil, he is a counterfeiter. It is fake money. He is a copycat to be like God. That's what he says, to be like God, when he, the serpent told Adam and Eve that you will be like God. And the truth is that demons are real. Don't mistake in that. Demons are real, and the demons are ro roaming around on this earth right now that they're destructive and powerful and do not start building curiosity about them. Some people, they get into curiosity and they start like studying it and they start getting into it and they're not ready. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you must be very careful for you will be consumed by the devil. You have to avoid them at all costs. I'm talking about occult. I'm talking about magic. I'm talking about psychics, people who go to psychics of any kind or people who do Uji boards as a joke. You think it's funny. You think it's the dead speaking to you? Oh, dead wrong. It's the evil spirits using tarot cards. And you must stand your ground and you need to pray. And you need to bind them in the name of Jesus Christ. For the devil is real. And he's out to kill us, kill us Christians. And that's a little bit of Sino as demons. So that's what's happening here in Mark chapter 5. This demon, this other side is a dark place. And this demon called Legion had taken over this man. I mean, it's just this powerful man. Like, they've never seen anything like this before. But we know right away, right here in Mark chapter 4 and verse 5, that who submits to God? Who is submitting to Jesus? Everybody. The storms, circumstances, even the devil himself submits. He runs. He begs and begs. Please, please, don't torture me. Please. He begs Jesus. And we see that in the name of Jesus Christ that we combine all attacks. So let's lead into point number three. I'm going on to point number four. Almost done. But point number three is this. That you're called to stand. Please turn to your neighbor and say, stand. Stand your ground against the demons. Do not shriek away. They finally get to this other side. And in Mark 4, they survived the storm. And now in Mark 5, they're on the other side. They're called. What are they called to do? Are they going to flee and run away and be afraid? Or are they going to stand their ground? 
And what they do is they stand their ground. I mean, Jesus is standing his ground. I don't know what the disciples are. They're probably freaking out. They're like, ah, like, ah, help me, Peter, help me, help me. You're called to walk in faith and stand your ground against evil, not shriek and run away. You know, you see a lot of possession and things, especially overseas, if you, if you go on missions, especially in, in third world countries where there's a lot of magic. I've seen it even in Africa and and people, like there's a lot of supernatural things that goes on. In America, it's a little bit of different. The devil, he is, he is a shapeshifter, right? He knows how to work in certain areas, certain places. There's, there are demonic holds. And we see here in this place, let me just give you a few information about this place. Letter A, it's dark. Okay, keep in mind, it's, it's nighttime. B, they did not want to be here, right? C, they just experienced life and death trauma. They, I mean, a miracle, regardless, it was a miracle. D, they see a demon-possessed man. In the other parts of the gospel, it says there are two demon-possessed men. But here we see one. So it's like two demon, it's like what is going on? They're having, it's like a scary, they're in a scary, like a horror movie. E, this was a Gentile region. We know this, how? By the pigs. The Jews don't associate themselves with pigs. So we see that there are pigs in this area, that this is a Gentile region. What do I mean by Gentile region? Gentiles are non-Jews. Jews do not associate themselves with Gentile people because they see them as dirty people. And the disciples are Jews. Jesus was a Jew. F, he lived in the cemetery. Cemetery symbolizing and representing death horror movie, right? Like, it's a scary scene here. What's happening? They're trauma, trauma, they almost died, and then they see two demon-possessed men coming. It's like, whoa, that's pretty scary. Let's look at verse 6 to 9. In chapter 5, verse 6 to 9. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of most, the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. This place is a region of Gerasenes, the other side. The Romans would call this place the dark place. It's a secular place. The Jews would call this place the forbidden place. It's a place of no hope. Why would anyone ever go to this place? This was not a place for the Jews. It was not a place for the chosen and clean people. Why? Because they raised pigs. Only dirty and filthy people ate and raised pigs. I'm sorry for those who love Sangyipsai. Side note, Jews are forbidden to eat and raise pigs, right? And this was a place of impossibility. The disciples believed that people living here could not be saved. So when Jesus said in chapter 4, let's go over to the other side, the disciples knew that it was the area of Gerasenes. So they already had in mind that this was a place full of paganism, cultic activities. This place was haunted, and they finally encounter a demon-possessed man. And obviously, maybe they're not surprised because they're like, see, I told you, this place is crazy. Why are we here? And it's not a surprise to see a demon possessed man because this was an isolated place. 
It was like a place where you go, you drive around town where there are board, boards on the windows, you know, crack houses boarded up, stores with cover up and like black tint and places where you do not want to be. And when I read this, I'm reminded of the story of Gomer and the story of Hosea. When Gomer, she goes back into prostitution, Hosea goes and searches for this woman. But you need to understand that even in dark places, there is hope. That when you bring light into these areas, that there is hope. That's why we cannot give up on people for those who have gone too far into darkness. For they are crying out. And all they need is the light. All they need is a sense, a glimpse of hope. And who was that hope? Jesus. Jesus was that light. These people were isolated, the Gerasene area, and now the light had come to them. I mean, this is just a beautiful story. You know, even with the, the woman at the well and, you know, the story that we've just been going over and how Jesus goes to Samaria and these places that you would, do not, you would not expect Jesus to be. And he's here in this place, and the light had now come to them. And I want you to think about the most horrible image you could think of in your head. It was here. The Romans allowed these people to manage themselves because they are just pagan people and no way to control them. People even living there would say, all the good people were on the other side, right? Nobody would come here. Why would anyone come here? And a lot of times we live in this dark place. You, you, me. In our minds we think, Jesus, why would you come here to save me? And we have that dark thought that I'm too far gone from God, that he cannot save me. But that's not true. You are never too far gone until you take your final breath. Even in your final breath, you can be saved. While they're on this other side, scripture tells us that this people in this region, they could not hold him. Right, night and day, he would cry out, cut himself with a stone, so people isolated him, and people did not want to associate themselves with this crazy man. And we understand how human beings are. When people are isolated, when they think that there's nothing that we can do for them, we treat people as animals. And in this case, this man was treated like an animal. Let's look at verse 1 through 5. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind them anymore, not even with the chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So it says, when the demon-possessed man came, saw Jesus, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of God? And this is the only time, only time in the Bible where Jesus is asking for a demon's name. And Jesus says, come out of this man, you evil spirit. And he says, what is your name? And he says, my name is Legion. The demon begs to be sent to the pigs. Jesus gives permission. Demons 
go into the pigs, 2,000 number, and people come over like, oh, what's going on? It was commotion, and they see the demon-possessed man. They're like, whoa, he's okay now? Like, what's going on? He's right mind, he's clean now, and come to this, like, what? And people are confused. They just lost all their animals or pigs. Verse 12 through 17. Send us among pigs. Allow us to go into them. And we see the story all here. And then, what's crazy here, let's look at verse 17. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. What does that tell you? That the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They don't say, thank you, Jesus, for saving this man, this one poor soul. They want him to leave. This passage tells us that these people are what? Letter A, they were selfish. They failed to see the miracle, to see their fellow brother being saved. They were selfish, and they were greedy. B, they were greedy. They care more for their source of income. Again, animals are income. It's property than Jesus. What can we learn from verse 17? And I want to ask you, who do you trust, and what do you trust anymore? The money you have in your bank account? the property, the things that you have, or in Jesus Christ himself? What about you? Do you value more for your personal items than people? You know, wearing a, if we're wearing an, exp- like an expensive scarf and giving it to someone who is in need, do you put value in the scarf more than that individual? I remember I had a wallet. I forgot to change my wallet that one time. It was one of the missions. I brought just my normal wallet. And this kid started having seizures, and I remember there was a medical student, and again, I don't I have no training, right? I'm just going off from like what I know, and I'm like, something has, so it's just instinct, I'm just like, I just know that maybe they're not supposed to like swallow their tongue, because I, I had like an experience before like with a, a youth student, and I'm just like, I took my wallet without thinking, put it in his mouth, he's vomiting everywhere. I'm holding him, vomit all over me, I'm not even thinking. And we have a medical student guy, he's just like sitting there. He's shook, he doesn't know what to do. For me, I'm not concerned about like me getting dirty or me, he's part of the team, the wallet in his mouth. I don't know if that's accurate. Only you let me know, maybe that's not the right thing. Maybe he like, it got worse, but I know you're not supposed to touch him, but I just didn't want him to choke and there's vomit everywhere. And my father was right there, he saw everything because that was a mission trip that we went together. And we understand that we put more value in our items than people, and that's kind of scary. More value to animals than people. Are we more concerned with programs and numbers and animals than that one individual? And in this case, the people here, they're selfish and they're greedy. Let us not be that way as, as men and women of God, amen? And last point, point number four, your call to stay. Please turn to your neighbor and say, stay. stay. Say, stand by me. Stand by me. Okay. Now, this man is finally free, and you could just imagine, right, just the craziness of it. And in verse 18 to 20, and we're closing with this, and it says this, that as Jesus getting into the boat, and this is just a beautiful story, uh, just an amazing conclusion. 
the man who had been demon possessed, he begs Jesus, right, to go with him. He's like, Jesus, let me go with you. You saved my life. I want to follow you no matter what. And in verse 19, Jesus did not let him. And the question is why? Why did Jesus not let him? But said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And in verse 20, so the man went, went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that region is a Gentile region. Gerasenes is in Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So this man, he's free now. And this man, he wants to follow Jesus. First time being saved. Imagine, go back to your own story. The first time when you're saved. And when you found Jesus Christ in your life. And you say, Jesus, I will follow you no matter what. But it says Jesus did not let him. It's that Jesus tells him, verse 19, go home to your family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. And in verse 20, so the man went away began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus has done for him, and all the people were amazed. Just imagine this man. He lived all his life. We don't know how long, but we could have seen for a long time for people had given up on him. He lived his whole life as a demon-possessed man in demon possession. And he meets the Savior, the Savior, and saves him. And Jesus is about to leave the boat, and he asks, Jesus, let me go with you, you saved me, you give me everything, let me go with you. And how many of us, when we meet Jesus, and we become saved, we want to follow God, we want to follow him everywhere. But Jesus doesn't say, come with me. But he tells him, stay where you are. Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Pretty much is the same, to paraphrase, He's saying, stay and go share your story of what I've done for you. So the man went away, told his family and everyone how he had been saved. And I'm closing. I want you to think about the places that you're the most, that you're most afraid of. You know, it may not be another country or another side, it could even be your own room because maybe in your own home you have an abusive father or you come from a broken family and you have all this problem, all these storms in your life. And somehow that when we become saved, we think that everything is going to change. Finally, my family will change. Finally, things will be different. Finally, my, maybe my abusive father will become an angel. We think that the mother that had left when we're young, we'll come back. But let me just burst your bubble for a second and give you a reality check. That once Jesus touches us, and I'm saying this very carefully, sometimes, most of the time, our circumstances don't always change. I'll say that again. When Jesus touches us, most of the times, our circumstances don't always change. That is a reality. But what changes are our hearts. Because you have a regenerated heart. It is no longer your spirit, our spirit. But it is God's spirit in you. 
that allows us, that allows you to overcome difficult circumstances. You go back to the same surroundings. You go back to the same hardships. You go back to the same struggles. You go back to your same broken home. You go back to your abusive home. You go through a parent. You go back to your parent absent homes. You go back to your same job, same relationships. But what changes are our hearts? And these are the places that God has called us to go and to be. Amen. These are the places that God called us to be. And let me give you a crazy connection here. We just read Mark chapter four. We read Mark chapter five. We heard about this one man that was saved in this area of Jerusalem. But if you go a few chapters later in Mark chapter eight, you see a, 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 this is not the feeding of the five thousand. This is the feeding of the four thousand. Now, what is so special about the feeding of the four thousand? This feeding of the four thousand is not a Jewish region. This is a similar region where this man, this demon-possessed man, was, and I believe that in Mark chapter eight, this decapolis region, that the feeding of four thousand, all these people came because they had heard about this man, Jesus, this God, Jesus, who came and healed this demon-possessed man through his testimony as he went around and shared his story. People were amazed, and they came, and four thousand people. And again, that's just only men that are recorded. So you could just imagine the number, double, triple that number, twelve thousand, eight thousand in that region, predominantly a Gentile region. That's why in verse four the disciples say, "Where in this remote place? Where in this remote place that I don't want to be? Can anyone get enough bread to feed them?" And Jesus says, "I can feed them, for I've come to save the lost and to those who are broken." Meaning that through the faithfulness of this one man, this one individual, many heard the news and came to see Jesus in market. Because the disciples went, because they were called to go to reach this one man, they knew what they were getting themselves into. What they didn't know, they find this demon-possessed man. They save this one man. And through this one man, many heard his testimony and came to know Jesus Christ. You may be sitting in your seat and you're thinking, "Who am I? I'm just one individual." Oh, you are so much more. God has called you to use you, to use you in your own homes, to use you in your own region, in the places where you are working. Do not be dismayed. Do not be discouraged. For if this one man can change a whole area of region with his testimony, imagine what you can do. Imagine what you and I can do in a small number. Imagine what. Just go back and see what the disciples had done. Twelve numbers, twelve individuals, all coming from brokenness. Nobodies on this earth. People of no worth. People of no title. God used these individuals. God used the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. Praise God for His call. Praise God for His calling for my life. Jesus, for all of us, He came to this other side. You and I are here today because He came to my side. 
He came to the other side to rescue me in my dark place. He came to where I was, the other side. I am the other side. You are the other side. Where no one wanted to come and to help me, He came to rescue you. Do you understand that? That when we were all lost in our sins, Jesus came to my rescue. That Jesus came to your rescue. Through the storms, through the challenges, through the difficulties, He came. And He came at night. And nighttime represents hopelessness. He came, He came to my cemetery. He came to the place where I was dead. He came and He rescued me. Oh, praise God for who you are, God. I praise you for who you are, for loving me. How can I not wash my hands? Who am I to allow my circumstances, allow the storms of my life to dictate my hands of worship to you, God? You deserve so much more, for you are there with me, sleeping on a cushion. You are with me on this boat. You see, at just the right time, at just the right time, that when I was still powerless, that Christ God, He died for me, He died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Go back to your family. Go back to your neighborhood. If you don't do it, who will do it? This is the greatest call that you will ever receive in this lifetime. Wherever you go, God, I will go. If you call me to stay, I'll stay. God, if you ask me to move, I'll move. I will follow you in this life. If I lose this life, it doesn't matter. For God, I will have you. And I will follow you for all of my days. For all of my days. As we're in this presence right now, in His presence. Take a moment right now to reflect upon your life, where you are before God. Remember the call of God, the call that God has placed in your life. That you are called to go. That you are called to fear, have a healthy dose of fear of God, reverence to God, obedience to God. You are called to stand when you are confronted by the enemy, when the devil attacks, you are called to stand, not flee and to be afraid, not to shriek in fear. And you are called to stay, stay and be faithful where God has called you. Where are we right now? Reflect upon your life. Ask God to give you wisdom. If you lack wisdom, ask Him. It says in James 1, to ask, and He will give it to those without finding fault. For He gives it to those who ask generously without finding fault. Ask Him. Ask of Him, and He will strengthen you. He will give you wisdom. Let's pray together.
close our eyes. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall storm came up and waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples welcomed him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if he drowned? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? They went across the lake of the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out. What would he cry out? Maybe for rescue? Maybe for hope? Someone to come and save him? That's me, God and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He, sh he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion. He replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out, went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down in the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to see Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there dressed in his right mind and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. I pray that we will never be at this point where we cannot recognize the Savior and choose our property and our belongings over our Lord Jesus Christ. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, this is a message to you and to me. Let us listen carefully. Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. It's not just about hearing, but it's about action. Verse 20 ends with this. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. He turned from fear. It says here that they were afraid in verse 15 into amazement leading up to Mark chapter 8, the feeding of the 4,000. The feeding of the 4,000. Where many came to rescue, to know Jesus Christ. the right time 
that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, we want to thank you for the hope and the life that we have in you. That God, that even in this life, uh, there would be times where there would be storms and opposition. Let us never forget that God, that you are right there in the boat with us to rescue us and to calm the storms of our lives. When you call us to go, let us not be afraid and let us go in faith. Let us never live our lives in fear, fear of the unknown, fear of this world, what may happen tomorrow. But Lord, let us live boldly today, faithfully, courageously, not in myself. For God, I am not strong enough to confront the enemy's attacks on my own. But through you, God, through the one who is in me, through Jesus Christ, the devils fall under your name, under your authority. So let us stand, stand our ground in courage and in faith. And God, let us be faithful where you have called us to be. And faithful we will be. Let us finish this year strong, not forgetting the theme and the season that we're in, that we're in the season of Lent, reflection. And the theme of this year, steadfast. Thank you, Lord. Let us be steadfast for your kingdom and in your name, O oh God. Strengthen us today. Encourage your children. Encourage your people, youngest to the oldest, here in this place as we honor you. We love you. We thank you. Pray all these things in your precious son. Jesus Christ, I pray. And God's people pray. Amen.